Number 317 will be the invitation song this morning, so uh, if you're using your books, as Cameron suggested, go ahead and mark that, and we'll be uh, singing that song to invite those who need to obey the gospel or need the, the prayers of the church in regard to maybe sin in their life, whatever your need may be. Um, also, thank you, Cameron, for leading these songs, and that song just before the lesson, What Shall It Profit, goes very well with what we're going to be discussing this morning. Appreciate uh, Cameron and also Melvin. They both do such a good job leading singing. Appreciate them. Uh, appreciate the prayer this morning led by Brother Thrower. And uh, hopefully all of us are here this morning for the purpose of worshiping and serving the Lord with, with genuine, sincere desire to be pleasing in His sight. And if that's the case, then I do believe we will all leave here better equipped better focused on our service to the Lord. This morning's lesson is going to be, I've titled it, All Hat, No Cattle. Um, Grant Neal probably knows, he's from Texas, see. He probably knows what that means. All hat, no cattle. Hypocrisy is a problem. And this, of course, applies to other areas of life. You know, we live in a culture where it seems like Appearance is everything. There are people who live their lives, who focus so much on how they look that they spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on cosmetic surgery. They spend thousands of dollars on clothing. Um, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago we were watching Live PD. This fellow gets pulled over. He's got a bunch of shoe boxes in his trunk, and he's got a, he's got a shoe box full of $30,000. And the officer asked him, what are you doing with so much money? He said, I sell shoes. Shoes, $30,000 for shoes? Well, he said, I just sold a pair for $10,000 to some kid. $10,000 for a pair of shoes? Style over substance. We put so much emphasis on things, on stuff. And we need to understand that style is actually worthless in the end of things. Now there is, you know, some things we need to think about regarding style. What am I saying and what am I not saying? First of all, understand something, please. There is power and appeal in style itself, and there is a proper place to think about style, if you will. You know, marketing, and of course the way that these commercials are these days, it just leaves me scratching my head. Who in the world gets paid to come up with these commercials? Some of them are pretty lame. But marketing, packaging, politics, religion, you know, style is very prominent in these areas. In fact, too prominent in most. It's all about how we appear, you see. You know, a lot of political correctness, it's not so much that this is right and this is the best way to do it. It's how do we appear so we give in to this political correctness of saying things and doing things just so we don't offend somebody out there up on top of a mountaintop somewhere that's just nuts if you want to know the truth about it. And we're worried about offending that fellow. So we'll come up, we'll, we'll come up with the craziest things. It's, it's all about style. It's about appearance. And I'm not saying that style is wrong in and of itself and that it serves no purpose at all. There is the need and when it comes to doing things, to do them correctly. 
Listen, there's nothing wrong with dressing nice. Nothing wrong with looking nice. Nothing at all wrong with that in and of itself. There's nothing wrong with making sure that you're accurate in what you say. There's nothing wrong in making sure that what you say is, is equipped to generate and bring about its desired purpose. There's nothing wrong with those things. You know, style, when you put with substance, becomes power, even more powerful, very powerful. But style by itself is worthless. Now, the danger lies in emphasizing style when there is little to no substance. In 1 Peter 3, in verses 3 and 4, I think we have a, well, we've got an apostle making this very point. The apostle Peter points out it's not in your clothing, your hair, it's not in your jewelry, but it's the hidden person of the heart that's important. A meek and quiet spirit is what is important. And I'll just say, being godly is what's important. It's not how you look. But again, that doesn't mean that we're, look, we're to look like a bunch of hobos. You know? I understand that. But when style becomes our emphasis, when there is no substance, style is worthless. Now, I, I'm not going to talk so much about in the world because we see it everywhere. I want to talk about spiritual matters, and especially within the church, and, and, and how we can allow style to influence our behavior, influence our teaching, and what we do in practice. Now, hypocrisy is a problem. No question about that, it always has been. But I want to say to you, when we emphasize style, we also bring about another problem, shallow theology. When we become so, so obsessed with making sure that our lessons are short and to the point, we, we say things just very sh short and sweet, ignorance is going to be the result. People are going to be ignorant and therefore they are not going to be equipped to worship God. And that's a serious problem. We do see that in education, by the way, and just use this as an illustration. Over the last 30 years, education has been so dumbed down. And people, children are not being taught. Now, they're being taught some things, but they're not being taught the most important things. Education has become so dumbed down that we've got a bunch of dumb young adults running around here that doesn't know anything about anything. But they think they know everything. And it's a shame. But you know what? The same thing has happened in the spiritual world. Churches are so dumbed down when it comes to doctrine and theology. People don't know anything about what the Bible says. In Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, we're going to use this as our text this morning. In verse 11, Paul writes, In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, 
having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped away the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. First of all, I want to point out to you substantively, those who are in Christ have all they really actually need. And those in Christ, those who've been baptized into Christ, having our sins forgiven, being in a right relationship with God, that's the most important thing, substantively, you can find in your life. Nothing else is going to top that one. If you are a child of God by faith in Christ Jesus, having been baptized into Christ and having put on Christ, I want to say to you, you have reached the top of the pinnacle as far as what is important in life. Now, you continue to try to serve and grow and be the Christian that God wants you to be. But when you become a child of God by faith, that is the most important thing and should be the most important thing to you. And that is substantive. In verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over, over them in it. And so let no one judge you in food or in drink regard, regarding a feast day or festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Listen. The Jews were putting so much emphasis on keeping the law which had been taken away and nailed to the cross. But they were still trying to emphasize those things. Now Paul in the context is primarily dealing with that issue. And he points out that these things are not substantive any longer. And that people who are focusing on these things are misfocusing. Their, their attention is wrongly focused. And so... Don't worry about these things, the substances of Christ. And now, by the way, the book of Colossians is for the purpose of emphasizing the preeminence of Jesus Christ. That was established actually in chapter 1, and Paul is building upon that preeminence of Jesus Christ. Verse 18, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which have, he has not seen, Vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. So those things that are not seen, the, the things that men think of, these things are dangerous for the child of God to consider and to follow and the doctrines and the commandments of men are to be repulsed. Verse 20, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle which all concern things which perish with the using. According to the commandments and doctrines of men, these things indeed have a, an appearance of wisdom. There's the style. They look good. They look spiritual. They look like a person who's doing these things is really, really a spiritual person. They have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed, self-imposed religion. False humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. An appearance to godliness, to righteousness, to spirituality, but they really have no real substantive value. And your walk with God and keeping you pure and holy in the sight of God. Now, we're going to come back to that text here in a little bit. I want to talk a little bit, though, first about hypocrisy. 
and the idea or the concept of appearance. And the Jews who were focusing on these things that Paul is dealing with in our text, they, they claimed to keep the law, right? And they claimed to observe it and they held other people to their standard. We live in a world today where people still do the same thing, not so much with the law, though some do. It's other things. And we, we appear to be righteous. We want to appear to be righteous before men. We want, to, we want to please men. And that is more of a concern to us than actually pleasing God. We refer to this sometimes as hypocrisy. And living in a world where appearance means so much, I mean, think about it. Um, people get, the, you know, the Oscars are given to good actors. That's really what hypocrisy is, someone who is acting and playing a part. So we in our culture really value hypocrisy, literally. Um, we pay lots of money to be entertained, and it's absolutely astounding to me how much some of these actors get paid and all the money that's rolling in. And their status, you know, that we've put them into, it's astounding to me sometimes. Uh, athletes, same thing. It's all about appearance, you know. And of course, Satan is the biggest promoter of make-believe and appearances. He appeared in the Garden of Eden by changing his form, by appearing as a wise, subtle creature, tempting Eve. We can be carried away by the same concept in our own mind, and we likewise can be deceptive in how we present ourselves. There have always been hypocrites in the church. There were hypocrites before Jesus established the church. And I, you know, as you read your New Testament, what you're going to find is Jesus spends more words speaking against, condemning, correcting, rebuking hypocrites than anything else. An entire chapter, Matthew 23, is devoted to the hypocrites. The hypocrites are a prominent group of people in the New Testament. Jesus points out in Matthew 6, 1 through 18, that they, uh, they focused on what men thought when they went out to the street to pray, when they went out on the street corner, if they would appear to be fasting before men. They would do their charitable deeds so that people would see them. Now, Jesus emphasized to them in Matthew chapter 6, when that's your focus, when that's why you're doing it, you have your reward. You get the approval of men. When he says you have your reward, do you know what that means? That means all, that's all you get. That's it. Nothing else. You get your reward from men. That's it. You don't get any praise from God. Nor will you be rewarded by God. As hypocrites, people appear to be righteous. They may be rich in good works. They may do a lot of things. They may be constantly appearing to worship. They may be praying every time you see them. They may be praying every time you get together. They may be praying and praying and praying. They may 
appear to be holy. But you know what? If they're not faithful to the Lord and faithful in their service to the Lord, all of that appearance is worthless. It's all worthless. I mean, they may do some good stuff and they may worship and they may put on airs about being holy. But again, if they're not obedient to Jesus Christ, all of that means nothing. In Matthew 15, 7 through 9, Jesus said, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draws nigh to me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. For in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. These people were worshipers. They were religious people, very religious people. They were so religious. They wanted Jesus crucified. They wanted to put him to death because he was not what they thought God was going to give them. They were misled. They were, they were deceived, many of them, but yet they were religious, very, very religious, zealous in their religion. Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4 tells us. But not according to righteousness. They taught the commandments, the doctrines, and the commandments of men. Hypocrites may be very zealous, but zeal is harmful to the kingdom. They may go across land and sea to make one proselyte. And isn't it something? You have these religious groups in the world today. You've got these, especially the Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons, and others. They are so zealous in their evangelistic efforts. They get out and they ride their bicycles or they get out every Saturday and they talk to people trying to bring them over to their side. They're very zealous in that. But they're wrong. Hypocrites may be very zealous, but that doesn't make them right. We need to learn from that. It's much better to be zealous with the truth than it is to be zealous with error. You know that, right? And so hypocrites will be condemned. Matthew 24, 51. So all these things we need to think about. Hypocrisy is a real danger. Hypocrisy is actually idolatry. What hypocrisy is, is that it turns our focus from God to ourselves. It's about pleasing men. And so we have loved the praises of men more than the praises of God to the point that has become our idol, style over substance. Deception, and yes, even harmful to others in Galatians 2, 11 through 14. The apostle Peter played the hypocrite, and others were led, led away with his dissimulation, Paul says, and is harmful, and it condemns. So the worthlessness of hypocrisy, style over substance, let us never be guilty of being hypocrites. Good deeds and habitual worship cannot substitute for genuine conversion, for genuine faithfulness and loyalty to God. Good deeds and habitual worship is not going to take the place of what is in the heart. If what is in the heart is corrupt, it doesn't matter how clean the outside of the cup is. It doesn't make any difference. Hypocrisy needs to be confronted 
When people are hypocritical, they need to be called out on it. That's what Paul did in Galatians 2 with Peter. He called him out. He withstood him to his face. Hypocrisy needs to be admitted. We need to recognize our sins. We need to confess our sins, including the sin of hypocrisy. And we need to repent of it. So, okay, if you're talking about style without substance, hypocrisy is the first and foremost thing that would come to mind for many of us. Because throughout the New Testament, hypocrisy is mentioned. Style without substance. They look holy, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Okay? Now, let's apply this to some other things. Style without substance. We see a lot of emphasis today in the religious spiritual world, so-called spiritual world, um, on how people worship and how things are to be done that will generate church growth. How, how, we, can, how we can reach out to the masses and generate enthusiasm for the Lord. And many of the things that people come up with to accomplish their agenda, their goal, by the way, which some of that is really you know, worthy of our, of our effort. We need to get the gospel to the masses. We need to, need to be busy preaching the truth. We need to present the gospel in appealing ways. Absolutely. But the problem is the approach that the world and carnal churches are taking modern churches and contemporary churches, the route that they're taking does not bring about substantive conversions, but simply entertained and spiritually dead and carnally alive adherence. It brings people to simply fulfill or satisfy their fleshly desires instead of true, genuine spirituality. In Hosea 4 and verse 6, the prophet says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I also re will reject you from being priests for me because you have forgotten the law of your God. I also will forget your children. Listen. One of the many things that people do today who want to grow their church, the first thing they do is get rid of all this doctrinal stuff. Get rid of all this preaching of the Bible stuff. And they, wanna, they just want to make you feel good about being there. We want you to be happy and successful in your life. So we're going to give you some pointers on how to go out into the business world and make money. We're going to make sure that you're equipped to build your relationships with people and we're going to help you to be the best you that you want to be. That's what we're going to do. And so in order to do that, though, we've got to throw the Bible out the window. Or at least minimize it. Just reference a scripture here or there, right? Hebrews 2 and verse 1, the Hebrew writer says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. In the religious world today, people are not giving more earnest heed to what God has said. They actually want to extricate themselves. They want to get away from what God has said, and they want to do their own thing. 
read an article last week from a, uh, from, from, actually, I got it through Twitter. There are several religious uh, leaders and stuff that I follow on Twitter. And this was actually from C.S. Lewis Foundation. Most of you know who C.S. Lewis is. This was from the C.S. Lewis Foundation. And the article was five reasons why the Christian church is becoming accepting of homosexuality and the gay lifestyle. Five reasons. Now, this article was written in defense of accepting homosexuality and the gay lifestyle. And you know what? One of the number one reason that, he, that the author gave was because of modern scholarship explains some of the passages in the Bible that speak on homosexuality, and they put them in their historical and contextual setting in such a way that now we've been liberated from, from that restrictive old way of thinking about sex and marriage, and now we've been brought over to this modern age of scholarship where we are finding out that really doesn't matter anymore. That the Old Covenant truly was just the Old Covenant, and that was archaic. And it's true that we're not under the Old Covenant. But the reality is there are things stated in the Old Covenant that we are to listen to. And when you get into the New Covenant in the writing of the Apostle Paul, when he condemns homosexuality in Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9, understand Paul's really not talking about monogamous homosexual relationships. He's talking about the profligate, multiple sexual partners that people in the Roman Empire would have. Blah, blah, blah. And really what you get is just a throwing away of the Bible so that we can accept what we want to do. Instead of giving a more earnest heed to the things that God has said, oh, we disassociate ourselves from that so that we can do what we want to do. By the way, when you think about the other teaching of the New Testament, and you really want to talk about context, we can define marriage as one man and one woman for life. Jesus makes that point in Matthew chapter 19. There has never been, not one whiff throughout the Bible, Old or New Testament, where homosexuality has even been sort of inferred as being okay. You've got to make a really serious jump. To, to, to accept homosexuality. And by the way, so many churches today are doing that. What's allowed that to happen? They have thrown away the Bible. In Acts 20 and verse 25, And indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent from the blood, innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. You know, Paul was emphasizing the need to declare the whole counsel of God. And what we have today is just the opposite of that. We want people, to, we just want a little bit of this and a little bit of that. That's all we want. And if it's going to disagree with what I want, then I don't want it. And so 2 Corinthians 11 verses 3 and 4, But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity, that sincerity, by the way, that is in Christ. And if, he, and if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, 
or if you received a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel from which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Paul was worried about these brethren in Corinth because they were carnal in their thinking, and he's afraid because of their lack of spiritual maturity that they would accept a false gospel, a false Christ. And you know what, my friend, today we have the dumbing down of spirituality in this country and throughout the world. No wonder there are so many crazy things that are believed and accepted. It's unreal what people believe. But this is all made possible because of the ignorance that they have regarding what the Scripture says. In 2 Peter 3, 15-18, Peter talks about some of the things that Paul wrote, how, how that some of those things are hard to understand, and which those who are untaught and unstable, they twist the Scriptures to their own destruction. By the way, when you twist the Scripture to get homosexuality being okay, you know, you twist the Scripture that, what do you, Peter says, to their own destruction. That's exactly what people are doing. And it's not just that subject, it's a lot of other things too. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand. That's an important point. We need to know what God's Word says beforehand. We need to know what God's Word says about alcohol and drug abuse before we're tempted to engage in alcohol and drug abuse. We need to know those things beforehand. We need to know God's teaching on marriage, divorce, and remarriage before we get married, before we enter into that. We need to know what God says first. That's very important. Because if you don't know what God says, what's going to keep you from doing, getting yourself in all kinds of messes in your life that you really have a hard time getting out of, if you ever do? So it's important to know these things beforehand. Beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. There is a good reason why so many people are churchgoers, by the way. I'm not just talking about atheists out here. I'm talking about church-going people. I'm talking about the churched. And, well, there are also those who are the unchurched, but they think they're still Christians and spiritual. But just because people go to church certainly does not mean that they know what God says about a lot of things. In fact... I'll submit to you that many people who go to church on a regular basis are in ways more ignorant of what the Bible actually says than a lot of people who don't go to church and never have gone to church at all. You know why I say that? Because they've been taught false teaching about what the Bible says. They have had this drilled in their minds so much that they, they are deceived and they think that the Bible says something that it doesn't say. And when you try to show them that the Bible doesn't say what they believe it says, they get all puffy and mad about it. And they just can't, they, they cannot open their mind to what the truth says. They are actually inoculated to the truth because of the false doctrine that has been put in their heads. But there is a good reason so many churchgoers are ignorant of God and what He says. Teaching what the Bible says, teaching the Bible at all, is not something that is done typically in public anymore in churches. You can go to the Agape Church over here, and you can go to their little quick five-minute service, or you can go to their more extended service, 
where you're going to get a little talk. Or you can go to one of these other, other uh, community, ecumenical, evangelical churches, and very, very few of them actually do any type of expository public teaching, explaining. Now, some, some do. I'm not saying all. I'm saying most. Most of them, like Rich actually and some of these other guys, it's all about saying things that people want to hear and not saying anything that they do not want to hear. And the Bible is something they know that the people do not want to hear, so they do not teach it. Therefore, they have relegated their sermons, their messages to being more, you know, motivational. And, and you know, we need to be able to influence these people by actually not telling them this is what the Bible says, but trying to influence them into accepting this principle that is biblical, even though the Word of God has been pushed away. It's all about style points. No more bold proclamation of the convicting Word of God. It's about trying to influence them by our slickness, by our, our methods. Theology is formed from a few verses taken out of context and condensed or, and or condensed, incomplete, inaccurate cliches and memes. Now, I'm not saying that, that cliches in and of themselves are wrong or bad, you know. You've heard me say this a lot, and it's because it's true. We must not have emotion-based faith, but rather we must have faith-based emotion. When you talk about emotions, our faith should not be based upon what we feel, but our feelings should be based upon what God's Word says. Because our emotions do not, do not establish what is true. God's already done that. And regardless of what I feel about it, it's still going to be true. So anyway, we need to have faith-based emotion, not emotion-based faith. That's a kind of a cliche. But here are some that are so often out there that everybody knows them. Salvation is by grace alone, by faith alone, and through Christ alone. Three alone. But they hear that all the time. Now, there's a reason why that's said. Because that has absolutely nothing to do with you, is the point. Someone else will say, see, we are not saved by works. And it's true. You know what? The Bible says we are not saved by works. You know what? It's also true that we are saved by grace. It is true that we're saved by faith. It is true that we are only saved by faith in Jesus Christ. But not by faith alone. And it is true, we're not saved by our works in the sense that we earn or we deserve or we merit salvation. We need to define our terms. And someone else says, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. You know what? That's actually Scripture. That's John 16, 13. But what they do is they jerk that out of context and they apply it to themselves. You know what? I don't need the Bible. The Lord is going to, through the Holy Spirit, guide me into all truth. Had a fellow up in Fayetteville tell me that one time. He was a Christian. He told me he did not need his Bible anymore because the Holy Spirit had guided him into all truth apart from the Bible. 
and let go and let God. We hear that all the time. Let go and let God. Now, when it comes to troubles and things that you have no control over, you do need to let those go. And you, do, you need to allow God to take care of it because there's nothing you can do about it. It's in God's hands anyway. Just trust Him. That would be true. But what most mean by this expression is there's nothing for you to do. There's no obedience, no striving, no diligence, no patience, no nothing. Just let go. Let God float down the river of life and God's already accepted you. Doesn't matter what you do. Don't stress it. Don't worry about it. Everything's good. That's what they mean by let go and let God. Jesus saves and not the church. My friend, it is true. Jesus saves, but he saves the church. It's true the church itself does not save. The church is the saved. People get all messed up on these things because of, well, just false assumptions and false bad theology. God is love. Yes, He's love. God loves you so much He gave His only begotten Son so that through Him and by believing in Him, you can be saved. That is true. But you be warned that if you do not accept Jesus Christ by submitting to Him as Lord, if you do not believe and trust in what He has done and you do not submit to Him as Lord, you will not be saved. God still loves you. That's why he gave Jesus. But they think of it, well, God is love, therefore I'm going to heaven regardless of what I do, and so is everybody else. It's just a halfway decent person. You know, we kind of have our imaginary lines of who's going to hell and who's going to heaven. And you know what? That line of who's going to hell is further and further and further. I mean, it's not going to be long. Child molesters are going to be okay. After all, they're just born that way. I actually heard somebody say that here not long ago. They can't help it. It's amazing. Paul told Timothy in, second, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 13, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, and your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. That's what Paul told Timothy to do as a preacher. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, this is what Paul told Timothy to do as a preacher as well. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions through the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Boy, this passage is so true. Not just because God said it. That's, that's the reason why it's true. God said it. These are the inspired words of the Apostle Paul. But we see this, don't we? I mean, it's very evident. We have so few people actually preaching the Word of God these days. And you know why? Because there are so many people with itching ears. And there's much more money to be made 
and scratching their ears than it is telling the truth. That's just the reality of it. But boy, we see this so often. And, you know, how do you, it's kind of like drugs, you know, how do you, how do you destroy the cartel? Well, that's going to be rough. That's going to be hard to do. It's going to be hard to destroy all the false teachers. Well, you've got to limit the demand, right? But of course, how are you going to do that? Because the demand is so great. When you have the demand of finding somebody that will tell me what I want to hear, outweighing finding somebody who will tell me what I need to hear, you've got a problem. And that's the problem we're in right now. There's a book by Paul Ellis, The Gospel in Ten Words. The Gospel in Ten Words. Uh, I didn't read all the book, but I, I did read some excerpts from it. And uh, he makes a couple of points that are okay. But really, it's just dumbing down the gospel and the teaching of the Bible. And we see this emphasis over and over again. Let's not talk about doctrinal issues. Let's just talk about Jesus Christ being the Son of God, and that's all you need to know. He died for your sins. He was raised from the dead. That's all you need to do. What did Jesus say about that? Oh, it doesn't matter. What did Jesus say about that? Oh, it doesn't matter. What does Jesus want me to do? How does he want me to live? Oh, that really doesn't matter either. Just believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for your sins, he was raised the third day. That's it. You get off into something else, and you're going to get in trouble. You're going to offend somebody. The avoidance of controversial issues, you sure don't want to do that. If anybody anywhere is arguing about something, certainly don't talk about that. We want to talk about things that everybody's going to agree on. I wish everybody would agree with what God says about everything. I wish that was the case, but you know what? It's not. And there are people who take issue with what God says, so sometimes you have to deal with those, and that's where the controversy comes from. The overemphasis on immediate relevance. Now, there's nothing wrong with relevance, but listen, sometimes we simply need to know things before they become relevant. <laughs> we need to understand what the Bible says about things before they become a problem. Uh, the avoidance of expository preaching. The Bible itself is not being preached. It's not being taught by and large. So keep it short and sweet. And I understand the need for respecting time. But I also understand that as a, as a gospel preacher, the responsibility is to preach the word and to use as much time to preach the word as possible to get it into the people's minds so that they will be equipped to face the world and that takes time and that's really what people don't have as much of these days shallow theology results in our inability to discern truth from error right from wrong uh, the danger then of being led into error and sin and false doctrine. Apostasy is the result. Just a complete turning away from God and what He says. And thus the society as a whole is affected. Don't we see that kind of happening? When 
the Word of God stopped being preached in pulpits around America, what happened to our society? Has it had any effect at all? Shallow theology produces shallow faith, and shallow theology results in idolatrous worship. Shallow theology results in people who are doing what they want to do, pleasing themselves, entertaining themselves, instead of worshiping our Creator, as our Creator has told us to. We have a false notion of God. Then we are going to have a false notion of how to worship our God. That's why it's so important to know God, to understand Him. Because if we just have a concept that God is love, that God is nothing but grace, and He doesn't care what we do, how we live, and how we worship, then it's not going to matter to us how we worship God. We can do whatever we want. I saw a video this week. <laughs> I'm like, what in the world? There, was the, there, there were tables set up in this auditorium. And there were people dressed up kind of like clowns, but they were up there, and they called it dance worship something, something, another. And I mean, it was a disco type. I mean, they were just, it was crazy, and everybody was jumping around cheering, you know. The music was real fast. This is how they're worshiping God. Much of what is called worship is nothing more than dressed up, carnally motivated idolatry. I'm just being blunt about that. Let us never fall for the all-style, no-substance mindset that so many have fallen for. It looks good. If it feels good, do it. That has been applied to worship in too many cases. Not grounded in truth, but grounded in wisdom, human wisdom, shifting sands of human wisdom. You know what? Tomorrow... What is in style tomorrow will not be in style. If it's in style today, just wait. It's going to change. It's all based upon the shifting sands of human desire. Let us be spiritually mature. Now, in Colossians chapter 2, just to emphasize these points and the lesson will be yours. Paul emphasizes first and foremost those in Christ. You have what you need, and you need to be faithful to Him who has died for you. You've been forgiven of your sins, now you're to live a holy life. Abide in Him, chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. Those who've been baptized into Christ, you've been buried with Him, now live for Him. Abide in Him. Follow His teaching, the sufficiency, the substance is in Christ. Not in the teachings and the doctrines of men. Put spiritual things first in your life. Truly put the Lord first in all that you do. Make sure that what you're doing is pleasing to Him before you do it. Make certain that He authorizes, that He permits it. You get into Colossians chapter 3, that point is driven home. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. And he goes on, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to grow then into spiritual maturity. Paul started this epistle 
by praying for the brethren in Colossae that they may grow in all spiritual understanding so that they are able to discern between right and wrong. So we need to grow. We need to be mature. We need to be honest people. Seeking truly for what God wants. Being honest like the Bereans, they were more noble in heart. And they searched the Scriptures daily to see whether they, the things that they were taught were true or not. We need to learn to love the truth. Do you love the truth? Let me tell you something. People who love the truth, they're not going to get caught up in this all style and no substance worship and churches. They're going to be Focus on what does God say about that. And that does take diligence. We have to be diligent in our, in our, in our search for truth and our application of truth. And when it comes to my conversion, when it comes to my submission to God's will, when it comes to, to my transformation and being who God wants me to be and our unity as God's people, all of these things need substance, not just eye candy. We need to seek true unity based upon the truth. True holiness based upon following God's will. We need to grow into spiritual maturity. Have you been baptized into Christ? No, the Bible says, God says, that we must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We must hear that truth, we must believe that truth, and we must obey that truth. We must obey it with our mouth and confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We must turn to Him in heart in that we turn away from sin and we turn to Him as Lord. That's what repentance really is. And we must be buried with Him in baptism and be raised to walk in newness of life. That is our acceptance and our entrance into our relationship with Him. And we need to continue to follow Him as King. That's substantive. Jesus is all you need. The substance is in Christ, not in our carnal appetites and desires. If you're here this morning and we can help you in any way, please come while we stand. While we stand.